Hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you. My name is Alan. I want to start with a word of encouragement, and that is I feel that right now our church is heading in the right direction. I know there have been some uh, disappointments recently, and not the least of which is uh, our student ministry uh, director, Alicia, has felt called to other uh, ministry, and that, that has been difficult for many of you students and for parents of students who have developed relationships uh, with her over the years. It's disappointing for us as leaders here at Mountain Park because we just promoted her, and we think she is terrific. But in the midst of all of this, there's a group of students who have risen up and said, you know what, we want to do Bible studies together. We want to continue to do something meaningful. This is terrific because this is the church being the church. Uh, right now, I've heard uh, recently that there are groups of people gathering. Some of you are gathering right now to, to watch the service, to sing and to celebrate together as home groups. That if, if, if you... Uh, feel comfortable with it, you can just invite people you know, whether they come to Mountain Park or not, invite them to your church on a Sunday morning, watch the service, and then hang out afterwards and perhaps eat some breakfast or uh, just talk about the, 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 the service or the message or what God is saying to you, etc. And this is, just a, this is just a great way for these home groups to continue to allow the church to be the church. We've also discovered this week that um, our mission in Rocky Point is now ready to, to take on teams once again. We have had a relationship with them for years going down and helping to build homes for those who are less fortunate in the city of Rocky Point. And now uh, in November of this year, we, we have planned a trip, a smaller trip than normal with extra precautions. And it won't be our regular uh, trip to Rocky Point, but we are heading in the right direction. Now, some of you, you might not like the speed that we're going, that maybe it's too slow and you want to kind of crank things up. Some of you might feel like it, it is too fast and it doesn't, it doesn't feel safe, etc. But, but, but we may disagree on the speed, but what we can celebrate together is that we are heading in the right direction. And this is so important because when the church is divided, when we are heading in different directions and we are, we are not together, when the church is, when there is division in the church, it will destroy her. Before Jesus surrendered to the Romans, he prayed a prayer for the disciples and for those who would follow him. That means us. Jesus prayed a prayer that we would be one. We are a body made up of many different parts, and all of the parts are needed to, to keep the body functioning, but we are to be one. The great news right now is that we are heading together in the right direction. We are moving in the right direction. I hope that's of some encouragement to you. As we get started uh, with the message here today, would you bow your head and pray with me? Father, I thank you for um, some of these stories that I have had access to and, and people that I've had contact with this week. Just a reminder that, that the church does not stop being the church. It's not about a building uh, and, that, and that we are heading in the right direction. As long as we continue to follow you, surrender to you, trust you, we will continue to move in that direction. We, we need your guidance 
God. And we want to continue to move towards being one as you have called us to be. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said, these words of Jesus, this prayer comes from John chapter 17. And that's also where we find our scripture for today's message. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 15, Jesus prays this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's talking about his followers. He's talking to his, his father, God. My prayer is not that you, God, take them, followers, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Each and every one of us have asked a version of the question. And I'm, I'm not talking about the question about why Wayne Gretzky is so much better than any other hockey player who's ever existed. How, how is that even possible? That's a great question, but that's not the question. The question that I am uh, uh, reminding you of today is, why am I here? Regardless of where you grew up or what you were taught growing up, whatever belief system you uh, were, had access to when you were growing up, we have all asked a version of this question. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? What, what would it matter if I was here or I wasn't here? For those of us who believe that Jesus is the Christ, as I talked about last week, that Jesus is the anointed one, Jesus is the Messiah, that the story of humanity centers around the person of Jesus in the same way that our calendar centers around the story of Jesus 2,020 years ago. And that, and that if we choose to follow that Jesus, that we get to experience the beauty and the glory of heaven for eternity. For those of us who believe that is the case, it is reasonable for us to ask, why am I here? Why am I still here? Why do I have to stick around on this messed up planet? I mean, if I had a passport that would allow me to live in New Zealand, why would I remain in the 110 degree heat of Arizona? Why would I, why would anyone wanna do that? If I have access to the glory of heaven, why do I have to remain in this messed up world? Because Jesus the Christ prayed, not that God would take us out of the world, but that he would protect us from the evil one. And so we remain. And we are forced to ask ourselves, why am I here? What's my purpose? How are you doing with that question right now? My guess is that for many of us, the topic of purpose that we are looking at over the 18 weeks of the journal here in the fall, that it is particularly relevant for many of us during this pandemic time. That we are, we are asking, because so many things have changed, are changing, that we are asking ourselves, what, what am I doing? What, what, what is this gonna look like going forward? Do I still have a sense of purpose right now? 
even though I can't do A or I can't do B or I can't do C because of how the world has changed over these past few months. How are you doing with this question? If you have gathered to watch this with a group of people, then I invite you on a scale of one to 10 to let those around you know how you're doing with this question. If you've gathered with a group of friends or family or, or a home church at, at your home, scale of one to 10, where one means I have no idea what my purpose is. And 10 means I am exploding with purpose. I mean, I've got purpose oozing out of my ears. Just go around and just share on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? Look around. What's the average? What's the leaning? What's the tendency among those you're watching this with? Maybe you're a student and right now you're just not sure what the trajectory of your, your plan is. You just don't even know what, how can you choose between all the options in, in college and how are you supposed to pick what you're supposed to do with your life and there's a lot of uncertainty there. Maybe you're in college and you're, you're nearing the, the end of that part of the journey and it just still doesn't feel like you have clarity on what you are to do, on who you are. Or maybe you're later on in life and you're experiencing what many refer to as a midlife crisis. You know, this question that we're looking at here today, this essentially is the midlife crisis. This question is, is why people buy Corvettes. Because we look at our lives at some point and we just say, what am I doing? What? Here I am about to enter or I'm entering the second half of my journey and I still don't even know if I put any points up on the board. And so there's a lot of confusion there and we're asking ourselves, what am I doing? So if, if, if we're not sure, at least I'm going to be able to, to, to have fun driving around in my Corvette. I've got to figure out something with this. Now, a midlife crisis is not a bad thing. In fact, what's good about a midlife crisis is that it means we're asking the right question. That crisis means we are looking at our lives and we're just saying, okay, with whatever years I have left, what am I doing? What, what, what does God want me to accomplish? What is my purpose? Sigmund Freud would say that the answer to the question is the Corvette. Now, I got nothing against Corvettes. I got nothing against Corvettes, particularly the new one. I haven't seen a live one, uh, you know, a real one yet, but I very much look forward to, to, to seeing that. But Sigmund Freud would say that the answer to the question, to the question of why am I here, the answer to the question is pleasure. Why am I here? To experience pleasure, to seek and enjoy pleasure in whatever way that I can. That even if I do something for somebody else, if I do something that is altruistic, it is so that I can experience the pleasure of how wonderful I am. Not long after Freud, both these guys were, were about 100 years ago um, in the early 20th century. Not long after Freud, there was, there was another Jewish man who had a different answer to the question. His name is Viktor Frankl and he was a survivor of the Holocaust. He wrote a book called 
the search for meaning. And his answer to the question of why am I here is not pleasure, but purpose. He says that our core desire is purpose. Pleasure is wonderful, of course it is, but it is short-lived and it is not sustainable. Pl purpose is the thing that carries us through the dark days, the dark times, the dark moments. This is clearly understood in the 12-step process of recovery, that the whole process is not just about eliminating pleasure because pleasure is so desirable. The whole process is not just saying, don't do this, don't do drugs, don't drink alcohol, don't do porn. The whole process is just to say, yes, we, we understand the drive for pleasure, but instead to fill that up with purpose, to have a sense of why you're here and what you can do instead of doing those other things. Because we are here and we have a purpose in our lives. This is what Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years ago. God, you sent me into the world and I have sent them into the world for a purpose. Today, I wanna to invite you to learn a Hebrew phrase. The phrase is ata-ish, go ahead and say it. No, that, that's close, but it's ata-ish. Much better, much, much better. The second time you said it, much better. Ata-ish means you're the one. You're the one. And this is the way God invites us into purpose. This is it, how it works that God said to Noah, he said, Noah, I want you to go build an ark out of cypress woods. I want you to take your family and go do this. You're the one, Noah. I'm not calling anyone else. I've identified you. This is your purpose. Ataish. God said to Abraham, he said, leave your country. Leave your father's household. Leave all that you know and go to a new land. And I will make you into a great nation. Abraham, you're the one. Ataish. God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, go to the mighty Pharaoh and bring my people out of slavery in Egypt. And then if you know the story, Moses has all sorts of excuses. He says, who am I? Who am I to, to, to do this? And, and God says, God says, tell them I sent you, that, that I'm the one who said, you're the one. So God said, tell them I sent you. And then Moses has the gall to say to God, yeah, but who are you? Who should I tell them has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. And Moses continues to struggle with being the one. And he says, uh, uh, how are they going to believe me? I'm, I'm just a nobody. How are they going to believe me? And he says, God, don't you re re remember that I, I, I'm a st st stutterer? And he comes up all, with all of these excuses as to why he's, he can't be the one. And God just says, no, Moses, Ataish, you're the one. Last week, I invited you to, to pick up a journal. And, and, and on page 12 of the journal, there's a Bible reading plan. And I hope that you have uh, uh, kept up this, this week. It is a very doable Bible reading plan. For those of you who perhaps have never read the Bible and you want to read the Bible, it's a very doable plan to read the whole Bible throughout the six journals that we're doing here at 
Mountain Park. Now, this past week, this first week, was the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's a, one of the minor prophets, and it's a little bit trickier to read. But this upcoming week, we're entering into 1 Samuel. And then things really get hopping. In 1 Samuel chapter, seven, chapter 16, there's a story of another prophet named Samuel who was called by God to go to Jesse and tell Jesse that one of his sons would become the new king of Israel. And so Jesse's excited and he gathers uh, uh, his sons and, and one at a time, he, he shows the, the strapping boys to Samuel and says, here's my firstborn and here's my secondborn, here's my thirdborn, etc." And And the whole scene is kind of like the ending scene of Cinderella. They're trying to find out which of Jesse's sons are gonna, are gonna have the shoe fit on the bottom of their feet. And it is the least likely of them all because it's not until the youngest, the last one, David, who, who comes. He is the runt of the litter, young David comes. And God says to Samuel, he is the one. Ataish. David, you're the one. You may be the least likely, the one that no one thought was going to be the one. And God's the one who, who specifically calls purpose into people and says, you're the one. One more story from the New Testament is part of the Christmas story that an angel comes to Mary and says, you will be with child. You will give birth to a son. And I want you to give him the name Jesus. Mary you're the one, Ata-ish. You will be blessed among women. It's just throughout the whole story. This is, God doesn't call generic invitations. He gives specific purpose to people. Ata-ish, you're the one. Now, even if you're not familiar with, with any of these stories, we understand this is the way the world works. This is how things get done. We learn in our homes growing up that the only way that the dishes are going to get from the table into the dishwasher is that somebody does it. That a parent says, you're the one. You're responsible. Ataish. You can say this with your family. Hey, 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 why are there clothes laying all over the ground here? And instead of, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Not me. Not me. Ataish. You're the one. We understand. This is how things get done. You are the one. Jesus calls a specific purpose into each and every one of us. Again, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus was sent for a unique purpose. And so were you. There is something that God has called you specifically to do, to be a part of, and if you don't do it, it won't get done. You are not a grain of sand on an enormous beach of life, one of billions, indistinguishable from the rest. And if you were removed by perhaps getting stuck to the bottom uh, of uh, to the foot of a surfer walking by and get removed from the beach and no one would ever know, no one would ever care. You are not 
a grain on a beach. You are a gear in a machine. Now, I know that the church is not a machine. The church doesn't crank out uh, disciples, but, but you get what I mean. That when a gear is removed from the machine, it doesn't work anymore. You have an essential role to play. And when, when your gear meshes in with other gears, that's what makes the thing happen. That's what makes things happen in life. You have an essential role in your family. Something that you are called to do that only you can do. And it won't get done unless you do it. You have an essential role at work, even during those seasons where it doesn't feel like it. You have an essential role here at Mountain Park. You are, are not a grain on a beach. You are a gear in a machine. And see, joy, you know, the pleasure that Sigmund Freud was all spinning about, joy doesn't come from just spinning. Spinning, 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 spinning. Woo, wee-hee, I'm spinning. No, joy comes from a gear connecting with another gear and making things happen, making things work. That's where the joy happens because you are not a grain on a beach. You're a gear in a machine. The trick, of course, is finding out what gear you are and where that gear fits. And that's what we are hoping to explore in this purpose journey. As we continue to realize our role in God's story, there, there's no magic pill here that makes all this happen. It is, it is, it is an, a journey that we need to be on together. And it can be difficult and it can be frustrating, but we want to do this together. We are heading in this direction of trying to help all of us realize what our role is in God's story because that's where, that, that's, that's the core desire. That's how God has designed and created us to be. Mark Twain was credited with saying a phrase that has been connected with a number of different people, but, but, uh, but I, I, I believe it was Mark Twain who said that the two greatest days of a person's life are number one, the day that we are born, yay, and number two, the day we realize why why we're here. Why do we exist? What is my purpose? Now, in my experience, it's not just one day. It isn't a, a moment of enlightenment. I believe I've had many of those uh, over, over time. I believe that what happens is we experience a calling. We have an understanding of what our purpose is for a season, and then we continue to seek out what the purpose is for the next season. We continue to go to the boss and get our marching orders, that it's an ongoing journey, that for all of us, every day of our lives, we are either living out our purpose or we are searching our purpose. Every day, that's what we're here for, is to, is to find out, God, why have you put me here? So which one are you right now? Are you living out your purpose? Or are you seeking, searching for your purpose? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that in your story, you consistently call specific men and women to do amazing things to advance your kingdom. And Father, I thank you that you call each and every one of us, that you have, have, in, have invited us to be part of your story, not just to watch your story and learn about it, but that you've invited us to be part of your story 
So God, I pray for any hearing this right now who just, who just feel small, who feel insignificant, who feel like a grain of sand on a beach. God, that you would invite them into this beautiful machine that is your kingdom, that they are a gear in this machine. They have value, they have purpose. God, would you help each and every one of us determine what gear we are and where we fit. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm so thankful that you joined with us here today. And I encourage you when we wrap up here in just a moment to just, if you're with some other people, to share with them, why did you pick one or two or five or 10 on the scale of one to 10 in terms of where you are with purpose? What's going on there? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? We hope that you find it and have a purpose-filled week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.